You're listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our amazing lineup of creators. All right, here we are. Straight White American Jesus, Brad Onishi, back at the Summer for Religious Freedom in Washington, D.C., and we are joined now by Reverend Susan Frederick Gray. So first, let me just say, Reverend Susan, thanks for joining us. I'm glad to be here, Bradley. So you are the ninth president of the Unitarian Universalist Association. You started in that post in 2017. You, you've served in Arizona and Ohio and Tennessee and now live up in Massachusetts. You're somebody who has been an activist surrounding the issue of immigration, especially in Arizona. You are also, I believe, if I'm not wrong, the first woman president? Of I'm the... the first woman elected president uh, okay, okay. of the UUA. We okay. had an uh, interim president who was a woman who was appointed for a short period of time. All right. Um, well, thank you for correcting me. I appreciate that. I want to start here. I think a lot of folks listening will have perhaps a, a passing knowledge of what it means to be Unitarian. I was telling you earlier that I think a lot of people maybe have an uncle who is Unitarian or a friend and they're like, wow, they're religious and they seem really cool, but I don't know exactly what Unitarians do. So I, I just would love to start here. Can you just give us a, a little bit of insight into what does it mean to be Unitarian Universalist? So Unitarian Universalism is a religious tradition that is, um, you know, its its roots, its foundation was, is in the Christian tradition. Um, but since, um, but over time, it is really evolved into a very pluralistic religious tradition. So some of our core values as Unitarian Universalists are the right of conscience. And so, you know, we, in our history, we have uh, Christian leaders who articulated who questioned the Trinity. That's one piece. Unitarianism means God is one. So there were folks who early on uh, questioned the Trinity, understood Jesus as a prophet, but not as God, not as the same as God. And that was clearly a heretical view. And some of them were martyrs. Um, so that is a part of our tradition. And then universalism is the belief that if God is good, then God would not create humanity to suffer forever in hell. Universalism is the idea that God wants for every person to be happy, to experience joy, and to know that they are loved by God, that no one is outside of God's love. So that's the foundation, the theological foundation of Unitarian Universalism. But we're a progressive religious tradition we see wisdom in many of the world's religious traditions. So we have lots of multi-faith families, interfaith marriages, couples who come into Unitarian Universalism because we honor and the we honor and talk about and root ourselves in holy days and religious traditions from around the world. You know, when I think of uh, the Unitarian tradition, uh, I'm a scholar of religion. And, you know, one of the things that we are really invested in telling people is that it's easy to think of religion as belief, but religion is really about practice, ritual, community. And when I think of Unitarians, I think of folks who really uh, put those things first. It, it, it's about our values. It's about our community. And so we're much less interested in whether or not if you believe the right thing and much more interested in uh, the ways that you practice um, love, care for your neighbor, your understanding of what it means to be an inclusive community. 
Does that sound right to you? And and tell me as an outsider, does that does that kind of hit you at the heart of the tradition or what, what else would you add? No, I think that that is very much at the heart of the tradition. We are a non-creedal tradition. So we have members who have many different beliefs and non-beliefs who are part of our communities, but want to live out lives of integrity, of love and justice, want to make a difference in their world, want to raise their children in communities of compassion and care. We are rooted in the principles and values of love and justice, of equity and compassion, of pluralism and multiple beliefs. So it is absolutely true that, you know, I think we're a values forward faith in that way. It is about how we live here and now and how we work for the thriving of all of our neighbors and our communities. So we're here this weekend talking about separation of church and state, talking about you know, protecting democracy, talking about religious freedom. Uh, I'm wondering if we go beyond the, the halls of gathering for Unitarians, if we go into the public square, for you as president of the Unit, uh, Unitarian Universalist Association, what, is, uh, what does that mean to you in 2023? What is the kind of impact you hope that your communities will have on the world? Oh, what a great question. So one of the one of the most important places where I think Unitarian Universalists and the Unitarian Universalist Association have been showing up is for democracy. So in 2019, we launched a campaign called You, You, The Vote. And it was about, so Unitarian Universalists are often known as the people who show up. Like if you're at a rally or a protest for a progressive cause, you're going to see UUs in their yellow shirts that say side with love. We show up for the community. We're very civic minded. And but you, you, the vote was about not just showing up ourselves, but working with grassroots partners that were helping other communities show up to vote. And especially the communities that are most heavily targeted by voter suppression efforts. So we were specifically partnering with a lot of uh, people of color movements movements operating in rural communities and poor communities to help make sure that people knew how to vote, were registered to vote, and, and were able to vote effectively and have their vote count. And in 2020, Unitarian Universalists reached over 3 million voters in the 2020 election. We put priorities in Wisconsin and Georgia and Pennsylvania and Arizona um, to make sure uh, folks knew how to vote and could vote, you know, could vote and have their vote count. And so, like, we, we believe in democracy. I mean, what, like, that's a part of the right of conscience is that you might, you have your own beliefs. You are in, you are, your beliefs are yours. Like, if you are told what to believe, then that is not faith. Like, faith comes from inside. And that, but in a public, civic engagement way, we have to have all of our voices count. And that's democracy. That is what democracy is, is that all of the voices matter. All of the voices count. And we make decisions together that way, even though we may have a wide variety of views. And so we um, we have democracy as part of our core principles. And we understand how much democracy is under attack right now in the United States. So that's one place where we are really trying to make a difference. And it, of course, connects with the rights of LGBTQ people. It, of course, connects with, the, with women's rights, um, with climate realities and addressing those. And we, and we recognize how 
uh, weakened our democracy is right now. You just connected so many dots. And I think another one that I'd really like to draw connection to is the theme of the summit, uh, which is the separation of church and state. So here I, I hear you, the president, mm-hmm. talking about all of the ways that your faith tradition uh, informs your life and values and all of the people in your communities. And then I hear you talking about impact and being the people that show up. So let's just make sure we connect one more thread, which is uh, how does separation of church and state right, matter to you as somebody who wants to practice their faith in the ways you've just described? Yeah. Wow. So first, I want to answer this question as a religious leader and as someone who has pastored congregations. And one of the places where I feel the threat of the lack of separation of church and state right now is in the laws that are being passed that undermine the health and well-being of transgender kids. And another is around the health and well-being of women in accessing full reproductive care, including access to abortion. So, you know, I, as a pastor in Phoenix, I had a a family in my congregation where one of the children uh, was transgender. And for years, since the time they were little, they, they identified as a different gender than they were assigned from birth. And to be and in in places in school, they experienced bullying, bullying and restrictions on how they were allowed to show up and what they were allowed to wear. And in some parts of their family, they were restricted in how they were able to show up and what they were allowed to wear. And so to have a community love them for who they were, to support their parent as a loving parent, like you could just see the child coming alive. And that is beautiful. And so as a pastor, I am very concerned about the 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 um, previous wall and the separation between church and state being eroded in ways that impact pastors' ability and families' ability to nurture and love their children and to teach their communities about love and and to foster what is actually, I think, one of the most powerful things in our human capacity, which is the capacity to love one another and the fullness that grows out of that. So that's extremely important to me. So what I hear you saying is that you are, you're giving us this great and, and just incredibly touching example from your experience on the ground with a local community. And you have a child in your community uh, who is seeking a place where they're safe, where they can be affirmed for who they are, and they're finding that in a religious setting. Now, that's not something people around the country are used to. They're used to hearing about those are the places where you're shamed and condemned. So that's remarkable just in itself. Uh, I remember the first time I heard of a, of a church basically uh, raising the funds to pay for gender affirming surgery for a teenager. And I, I just, I couldn't believe it. I was so overwhelmed by that. It was just an amazing story. So the one you just told really links up to that. But what I hear you saying is, is if we have laws and if we have policies that are saying you cannot provide gender affirming care, you're basically having laws and policies that infringe upon your religious freedom, that the lack of a separation of church and state prevents you and your community from caring for your people and practicing your values as a faith community in the ways you would like. And so I think this is really important to me to get across to our audience, which is that freedom from religion is the basis for freedom of religion. Does that make sense to you? It does. And I think it's really important to understand that 
eroding that separation and having the government establish religious principles or using religious faith as the establishment of laws that everyone has to follow, that that is actually detrimental to religious faith. Like, once once the government is telling you how you have to live and how you have to believe, that is no longer faith, which is a gift from, I mean, meant a gift from God. Yeah. And so I just, I think, I think we do not, everyone doesn't always realize how damaging the states, the ways in which government is moving into, into the state, I'm sorry, religion is moving into the government is actually a threat to everybody's religious freedom. If you are a, a conservative Christian, you might not see that, but it will. Like the importance of the separation is so that the church and people's faith can thrive and that we as a community can all thrive because we have laws that treat us all equal and that do not impose uh, religious beliefs on us. So I just, you know, it's it is it is about limiting our our expression of faith. But more importantly, it's just uh, it's an erosion of faith itself. Mm -hmm. It's it really is. And not everyone sees that. But I it was great at this conference to hear quotes from some of our founding fathers talk about how they didn't want the bloody wars of Europe. Yeah. They didn't want the religious persecution and just the ways people fought over religion. That was not what needed to be the foundation of this country. And so it's it's powerful to see that. And it's very difficult to see the rise of religious-based violence um, and threats to synagogues, to UU congregations, mm -hmm. to progressive Christian yeah. congregations, to mosques. Like, this is, it's, it's very damaging. One of the, the things that I want to make sure we talk about, and I think it links up with everything that you've discussed already, is all the work you've done around the issue of immigration. Once again, I think uh, we think of a state like Arizona. Uh, I was just in Arizona a couple weeks ago. I think of the ways that School boards are being taken over. I think of the ways that hardcore immigration policies are still in the ether there, despite having a Democratic governor and so on. And one of the things I'd love for you to talk about is how uh, Unitarians show up. You said that. You wanted to show up on the issue of immigration. Why was that so important to you? Why does that remain so important to you? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, first, it's an issue of human rights. What we saw happening and continue to see happening in Arizona and other places is the violation of people's human and civil rights. The United States has long relied on exploited labor for its wealth. And um, we do not have effective immigration policy. We basically, in fact, in Arizona, I think for a long time, we had two policies. Uh, you know, one was jobs available, work wanted. And another one was keep out, right? I mean, we both relied on immigrant labor. We did not change immigration laws. We relied on undocumented people building up the city of Phoenix in the state of Arizona and across the West where the population has exploded. And so we've relied on exploitative labor and that is wrong. And it doesn't help anyone in the United States. It doesn't help any worker in the United States to have labor that is exploited. And so, you know, one thing is just a foundation that people have human rights 
Um, no person is illegal. And actually, like the ability to migrate is important. And it's in the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights that people need to be able to escape threats on their lives and their well-being. And so and we we exploited that. We exploited that. And in fact, our foreign policy caused um, unsettled conditions and violence in Central and South America in ways that fueled migration. So we could look at foreign policy if we want to change migration oh, oh, patterns. We could have a we could have a, a three day yeah. uh, conversation about that. Let me just say this other piece, because we see this happening with um, immigrants and migrants. We see it with trans kids, the LGBT community. But when we dehumanize people, when there are policies of dehumanization of making the most vulnerable people out to be the enemy, what is really happening is an erosion of everyone's rights. I mean, this is the way that authoritarianism comes to power. And we have seen this throughout history. We are not each other's enemies. We are not each other's enemies. We are each other's neighbor. And when we what happens is one group gets dehumanized and then another group gets dehumanized and another get, group gets dehumanized. And what is happening as that with that is a culture of fear that makes people give up their rights and think that denying and circumventing and limiting rights is going to somehow be a recipe for for safety or for protection of something that was but never was, right? Some kind of monolithic identity that was never the case. And it and it and what we, we saw this in Germany, right? We saw the way that dehumanization was a recipe for violence and the restriction of everybody's rights in the end. What, what, what you just said, I think, is really important to take away that uh, I think there are folks who have thought, well, yeah, immigrants are one. That's one group. I'm not one of them. It's wrong what's happening to them. But if I'm honest with myself, it doesn't affect me. And one, I, I would hope that that's not the attitude. But two, I think what you just said is really important to remember that when you dehumanize one group, you open the floodgates to dehumanize other groups. And we're seeing that. I mean, right. I, we are seeing that rhetoric. We're seeing that strategy implemented all over the country. And so um, I think that the way that you talk about immigration is an issue that is almost a gateway um, to starting with those who seem to be the most vulnerable and then making your way to the center slowly and 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 touching on other groups who uh, you think, well, we can apply these labels and these dehumanization tactics to them too. And we see that with the trans community. We see that with, with queer folks in general, so on and so forth. We're just out, about out of time. And I, I, I hope listeners can just hear the passion in your voice as you talk. And I, I really feel like you're someone that we could probably sit here for three hours and just keep going. Mm -hmm. But I want to let you get back to the summit. And and first, just want to say thank you for stopping by. Is someone listening and saying, wow, I never knew about the ways Unitarian Universalists show up. I never knew about how their faith is, is really rooted in, in impact, in loving one's neighbor, and in values, how can they connect with you and what they're doing or what you're doing? Absolutely. So the, you can go to UUA.org and you can actually find a congregation near you through our website. And if you're interested in working for democracy in partnership with grassroots communities in like so important places, I would suggest you go to UUTheVote.org. 
and connect and find ways to actually help uh, support voters in all, you know, in states across the country. Well, and I think of especially people who are living in places where they feel as if they don't have a safe place. And one of the ways that we might reframe the, the conversation is that uh, congregations and communities like Unitarian Universalists are places of refuge. Um, and so I think that's really important for people to know. So um, let me just say thanks again for stopping by. Thank you for your insight and for all the work you're doing. And I hope we can talk again soon. So great to be with you, Bradley. Thank you. This has been an Irreverent Media Podcast.